how about this? You can be nice and dishonest, but you can't be kind and dishonest. I like that a lot. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Hey, Cameron, can you tie together Carl Truman, Jimmy Fallon, and the Anglican Church in one idea? Niceness. <laughs> there's, there's, your, there's your prompt. Or the, the ideal of niceness. The ideal of niceness. Let's start with Jimmy Fallon. So if you're a pop culture person, you'll have heard this. Rolling Stone published an expose of Jim, Jimmy Fallon, the, the sweetheart of late night talk shows. Wouldn't you say, Nathan? I mean, isn't that fair to say that? We don't know where Carrie Cameron, let's be honest. But yeah, I think well, he has that kind of that. He has that reputation. You know, we I grew up watching Jimmy Fallon break character on SNL, and it was, darn it, it was charming. <laughs> it would make me laugh too. And then he, when he, but when he made the move over, all the way over to the Tonight Show, I mean, a massive coveted position, obviously a very high pressure role. I think he debuted with over 11 million people watching, which is just astonishing ratings. So the allegations sound pretty familiar these time, these days, Nathan, and that's not to downplay, but yeah, basically it was, it's alleged that this was a, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to use the alleged word. People are saying it was a toxic work environment. <laughs> I think Rolling Stone surveyed some 90 employees, which included current and former employees, all of whom converged on the theme that this was a terrible place to work. Relentless pressure, people blowing up at you all the time, HR not keeping your reports confidential, that sort of thing. And so it just was pretty, you know, a lot of people, you know, high turnover rates, all of that, people reporting that they needed therapy, people reporting that they were experiencing horrendous thoughts and, and, but specifically that, you know, Jimmy Fallon could come in and just be very, very ruthless not, with them, not dress nice. them down publicly in front of other people. Not nice. Not so, nice. All right, Angry, so here's a, disgruntled. Let, let yeah. me, let me guess where you're going with this. So the fact of the matter is we don't want to tri trivialize anybody's difficult workplace experience. What I'm guessing, and, and probably a lot of other people listening here are going to say like, okay, this is life kids. Um, Work is difficult. People aren't always the uh, mm -hmm. the friendly sweetheart they appear like on screen. Um, so your experience matters, but the real surprise is that you're surprised. Yes, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record. That's a very TOL take too. <laughs> but a, a couple of factors here that I think are contributing to this mindset. Number one, when we mentioned this before, this is a bigger issue. Well, an overall trend, I would say the un, largely unexamined and unstated assumption that these days any form of emotional distress is abnormal so there's that mm -hmm. you should really should basically your basic expectation should be to feel decent all the time all right let's just acknowledge that that's a wildly unrealistic expectation <laughs> and again not, not i'm i'm setting aside what's going on at the Today Show, could some improvements be made? Of course, well, of course, well, yes. Well, hang on. So but, the reason the reason it sounds like we're quickly skipping over this is that okay, we're not commenting on what's real and what's not. But I mean, this is mm -hmm. from Lizzo to you know, pick your. You've everybody's seen the headline in the last 
yes. month about a toxic work environment someplace to the degree that the Babylon Bee has the headline now of like everybody who's worked anywhere now comes forward saying that their previous place of employment was a toxic work environment. So there's a sense mm -hmm. in which either there's a massive epidemic of, uh, which maybe there is, or there's mm -hmm. a, or, or is it like, could it also be that it's not just like people aren't nice to us, but people that we think should be nice, particularly if you have people who are involved in saying the correct thing in front of large crowds, um, yeah, who are pro-choice, well, okay. anti-Trump, um, and right. pick up yep. on all the, the the talking points of you know modern culture, cultural orthodoxy, Co cultural right. orthodoxy. If they're culturally orthodox in yeah. public, then you think of them automatically as a good person, and then are surprised mm -hmm. when they aren't nice to you. Well, here's the second factor. So the first is that we the notion that we think we should feel good all the time or feel decent all the time. Second is we think we know celebrities these days. And again, it's a largely unexamined notion, but we do tend to assume we know celebrities. We have more access to celebrities. I don't than think we that we have. includes me, just for the record. Well, sure. No, I'm I'm just speaking in broad. I'm the royal we, Nathan. The royal we. No, I'm just I'm speaking in yeah, I'm speaking in broad societal terms here. People tend to, we, we, a lot of people tend to assume, everybody except Nathan assumes that they know celebrities better because we have unfettered access in ways that we haven't well, and, before and, through and social let me just, media. Let me just agree and prove your point. Like the fact that people mm -hmm. care about celebrity re relationships and marriages oh, and breakups sure. and, yes. and, and that makes headlines. And, you know, so I'm like, now I'm the old fogey at age 36 who looks at the headline like so-and-so broke up with, and I'm like, I didn't know either one of those people. Like, all right, moving on. But, right. and, but people no, largely yeah. do care enough that it's in like our, do. our normal national news. Oh, they do. And that's been going on for a while. I mean, people have been, you know, glaring at People magazine covers for years at the grocery store aisle. But now you can, again, it's not a matter of, it's, it's a matter of degree. You're, you can, you can now follow these people on their social media channels and you can watch their tearful revelations about their marriages ending you can i mean this is so it this gives a very powerful illusion of intimacy with a person so i remember i um why do i always admit these things on thinking out loud i should stop <laughs> doing this kind of outing myself here but i had this weird i developed this weird obsession during the lockdowns of 2020 where i just started finding all of these celebrities who were doing these, oh, it's so hard for me not to laugh as I'm talking about this. I'm going to try to keep a straight face because this is not derision. It's just, I do think it's funny. So I'm not going to name any of the celebrities, but many of them were doing kind of motivational pep talks in their Hollywood Hills mansions, encouraging all of us to stay home. And they would do, they would dance around. They would, they would take you through their cooking of, of you know, their various things. And it was just, it was kind of funny. I just was so morbidly fascinated by what I was watching. But it, again, it creates this powerful illusion. Oh, yeah, I know this person. I know Florence Pugh. Okay, it's only one, one name. You get one name from me. <laughs> but, you know, in fact, of course, this person is a total stranger to me. I don't know them at all. This is a broadcast that is still highly curated and carefully, you know, carefully managed by them. But that, but so that that's I'm just all that to say, Nathan. I think that's sometimes what accounts for the sense of 
betrayal. I mean, there's the classic, this person was my idol. There's that. But then there's the, the sense of, the deeper sense of betrayal. I thought I knew Jimmy Fallon. He's just, he's always so charming and so funny and he's always so nice and he's always giggling. The fact that the thought of him showing up to work hungover and, you know, chewing somebody out in an elevator is just shattering to me. But to me, from from a certain standpoint, though, it looks so obvious. I mean, okay, working an insanely high-pressure job. I'm not giving an excuse here. I'm just I'm describing circumstances that usually contribute to somebody being less than nice. Okay. Incredibly powerful. Yeah. Two things. All right, I'm going to go. So, um, you have to know somebody really well to know whether or not they're nice. Because the second part is, sure. it's really easy to fake being nice. Absolutely it is. I, I, I mean, I, it's, it sounds weird that we need to say that, people. but it does seem like <laughs> that is the foundational. Um, okay, so I think we've arrived at a point of transition. Sorry, Jimmy <laughs> Fallon fans. We're, we, we are going to, we'll, we'll might bring him in again here, but we're going to move on a little bit because I think we need to press into the word niceness. But specifically as it relates to the church, specifically oh as it relates to pastors, you asked me if I could tie this all together. I'm not sure I can, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Carl Truman. <laughs> Carl Truman, whom we have, we've, re- we've talked about him before. You'll know him as a, he was first and foremost, a professor of church history. I believe he is still at Grove City College. He wrote a, an article in First Things, and he was talking about the Church of England, specifically on the issue of gay marriage. And so statistically, the numbers have, have shifted dramatically. So several, just a few years ago, the majority of clergy were not in favor of gay marriage. Now the majority are in favor of gay marriage. And again, this is Church of England. So when you think about the spiritual state of England as a nation, that might not sound that surprising, but it's a dramatic shift in just a few years. But his point that he was making is he said, look, we often tend to look at pastors as people who are supposed to be kind, compassionate, and affirming people in general. And he said that that actually as a general rule is, you know, uh, that's true up to a point. But what do you do when you come to a cultural juncture where the serious dividing line between Christians who hold to traditional Christian virtues and those who are more progressive involves sexual behavior. He points out that that's different now, too. It used to be that that classic divide came along the lines of the supernatural. So if you affirmed a literal physical resurrection, then you were in the traditional camp. If you saw the resurrection in symbolic terms, then you were on the more progressive side of the aisle. And so at that point, people, if you affirmed a literal resurrection, what, you know, you would face some ostracism, sure, and all of that. But I mean, the worst you're going to get is, well, you're, you know, Cameron, Nathan, you guys are both quite irrational. Have you not paid attention to modern science? Have you been asleep? But now we've moved, when, it, when it's situated on sexual ethics, now it's not so much you're irrational, now it's you're immoral. You're mm-hmm. a bad human being for not supporting and not, not being affirming of LGBTQIA plus people. And so that's going to put that, the whole niceness, you know, disposition to the test. 
So is if pastors are going to speak with spiritual authority? Yeah. So correlate niceness to affirming. Is is that essentially is that essentially equivalency that's being made here? Because you use that phrase of like, uh, you're not I think affirming. We need to define this. niceness though. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. Well, good luck. We, I can't probably wait to do this to, one because it's kind of like time. I don't know if I everybody can. knows what it is, but it's really hard to define. It is so. hard to define. Well, I think so. Maybe let's go about this. So I think, in a very plain spoken way, niceness just refers to. We can just say, well, fight me if if you think this is wrong. That's not very nice of you. <laughs> Nicely, if you do, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. Push back if you, but I, I think niceness on a basic level just refers to you treating people with a pleasant demeanor and a, a high level of decency, just in your outward comportment. Yeah, so I think maybe roll into that a, a dose of a, a general acknowledgement of their wants and wishes, and not just your own. So you're thinking of so the deferential. Other you're different. You're differential, right? So or considering, yeah, you're deferential and considerate in how you. In your treatment of of somebody else, okay. If you, it, but we use it on. So hang on. Let's talk. Let's let's test drive that definition quickly. So sure. Let's let's think of sentences that have the word "nice" in them. So um, you hold the door open for somebody, or somebody holds the door open for you. You say, "Hey, thank you. That was that was nice." Um, mm -hmm. Courteous. You're courteous. courteous. Um, Considerate. Sent you a birthday card. That was nice. So they're thinking. When you say you, it's a nice day. It's a nice day. Pleasant. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with, I think we could say that all of the items we've mentioned are good within appropriate circumstances. And so that they also have their limits. So when you challenge somebody, particularly when you challenge them morally, can you do that in a nice way? <laughs> oh, oh, hang on. Let me, uh, yes. So yeah. hold that question. I'm just doing a quick search here. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the word nice appears in scripture. That's kind of interesting. So it's not in the NIV. Yes, it is. But it's not because niceness is suffering a little bit as a concept among a certain group of Christians who view it with a higher level of suspicion. And I'm I'm coming to be a little sympathetic to this. Although I will firmly I will firmly hold to the fact that we need to we treat people with decency and respect and all of that. But if that comes at the cost of not being honest and forthright with where we stand, but especially if you're in a person if you're in a position, sorry, of spiritual leadership, if you're unwilling to make a person uncomfortable or call them out, again, there are, there are right ways and wrong ways to do this, but if you're unwilling to speak with that spiritual authority, then there's a problem. So is... I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying well, the cultural <laughs> moment makes it easy. I'm not. All right. So my quick three translation study, uh, uh, not pulling up any references to nice. Is that because, and this applies to what you were saying there, that nice is is very super, is, it's also, okay, so it's good, it's but it's shallow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's shallow in the sense that nobody says, um, um, okay, Nathan gave Cameron a kidney. This, this isn't real yet. Um, you know, Nathan gave Cameron a kidney. That was nice. <laughs> 
or like something that like this person um, mm-hmm. sacrificed their life for the other, or this person gave up doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, somebody mm-hmm. gives you a hundred thousand dollars. You wouldn't be like, Oh, that's nice. I mean, I mean, mother Teresa it, was nice. <laughs> mother Teresa. So is it sounds trivial when you say it in, in, in conjunction with those kinds of acts. Well, well so I'll, give you, you another, I'll give you another you know, one. One of my kids, when, when they were little, they're like, you know, Jesus is a nice Lord, <laughs> which is funny when a two-year-old mm-hmm. says it. But nice and Jesus don't, something doesn't feel right no. about that sentence. Well, I mean, if you're two, it it's borders funny, on. But. It sounds sacrilegious. Well, I mean, so here's a sentence that sounds sacrilegious. It was really nice of Jesus to go to the cross for me. Right. You're starting to to, to feel how in, incredibly inept that word is to describe an act of self-sacrifice so powerful. It, it just doesn't have the gravity to, to to capture it. So I think the problem that we're running into here with niceness is it's, I'm comfortable saying it's superficial in the sense that, not that I, that you should never be nice, but it's relatively superficial. It's limited to kind of surface level interactions. And that would go along with what you just said, Nathan, about how you can mislead people with niceness too. Mm, mm -hmm. Because you can come across as nice and at the same time be, you know, you can be like Ellen DeGeneres, you know, charming (laughs) and smiling and affable when you're behind on, you know, on screen and then, you know, chew out your subordinates when you're off camera and stuff like that. Again, something that I don't find very surprising. Sad, but it's not that surprising. But when you're, I mean, yeah, so if you're, but if you're a person of deep moral virtue and rectitude, then you often will, I mean, often those kinds of people can come across as not legalistic. That's a different kind of, but harsh, uncompromising, very well, yeah, know, it's just gritty and real because we can separate niceness from goodness in the, in this way of saying, would you rather go yep. to a nice dentist or a good dentist? Like mm-hmm. when, when you phrase it like that, you see the, the distinction. Um, mm-hmm. yep, that's a cavity. <laughs> yep, I'm gonna use this, <laughs> this drill, but you're gonna be better. No, you look great. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's so, but. And again, we're, we're using very humdrum examples because we're talking about real life here. And the truth is, as Christian men and women, whether we're... So all of us, I'm going to say something. I mean, we're both, Nathan, you and I are both Protestants. So we can say this because we affirm the priesthood I'm, I'm of all I'm close believers. enough. I'm close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're close, you're close enough. You're Protestant adjacent. But we both would affirm the priesthood of all believers. I hope sure. most yeah. people would. So... We're all in positions of spiritual leadership is what that means. Whether, whether you're, you know, standing before a congregation every Sunday or not. And that means we've got to be willing to take a stand for what we believe, but also for people who are directly in our lives, who the Lord has placed there, our neighbors, occasionally to challenge people as well, which takes us well beyond the realm of niceness and Nathan, you used the phrase, when we were discussing this, you used the phrase that's very popular these days on, it's, a lot, it's on a lot of church marquees, open and affirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that there- That can't sense- always be our posture. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're well on our way here to making the case that you might not want a nice pastor. <laughs> I mean- Yes, <laughs> and I think, I think, well, I, but I think, well, 
I don't want a nice pastor. I want a faithful pastor. So Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now I say that and if my pastor challenges me in my life, tells me to knock something <laughs> off, there's still part of me that's gonna spring up naturally and just say, How dare you? I've got I mean, a- Catholics get this in a way that we don't if they go to confession you know, on a regular basis where, you know, basically a priest, stop doing that. I think one thing your pastor could say to you is like, stop talking about me on the podcast. That would be, you know, acceptable. Yeah, enough, Cameron. And (laughs) my pastor does listen to the podcast. (laughs) So the, the, um, um, so is, I'm, I, I see what we're doing here. I'm halfway uncomfortable because it, it, Hmm. this is not saying you can, if you're good at your job, you can be a jerk. Like that's not what we want to end up justifying. But and I there think- is a danger that that's how we're going to be understood because this is a polarized moment where people tend to be all or nothing. You're either yeah, nice so- or you're, I calls it as I sees it and I'm just going to absolutely you know, flay everybody. No, that's not what we're saying. Okay, let me make this more complicated. Help me parse out the nuanced distinction between being nice and being kind. Because I see kindness oh, yeah. as, as a fruit of the spirit a, a gentleness yes. and a kindness that okay. is is different, is categorically distinct. So it is essential as a Christian mm-hmm. that you are kind, but it's, yes. all right, this is a weird, do I, want to say, do I want to say this sentence? It's essential that you're kind, but it's not necessary that you're nice. I think you do because the two things are not the same. Kindness as, as it's meant as a fruit of the spirit is predicated on your care and love of a person. Niceness is not necessarily predicated on your care or love of a person. It might kindness just be assumes that you want a certain to a- avoid awkward. Kindness assumes a certain death. I mean, plenty of people are very nice and pleasant simply because they want to avoid awkward social encounters. I mean, have you ever been to Britain? A lot of British <laughs> people are really nice. <laughs> Who knows what they think of you? Yeah. I mean, it, I remember once somebody telling me about if a if you're doing a PhD in England, and your supervisor says, you might want to reconsider this particular angle. The translation is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Don't ever say this and get this out of your <laughs> dissertation now. <laughs> but so I think I think niceness has a lot more to do with, again, let's, let's just use the word shallow descriptively, surface level interactions. Kindness is deeper in the sense that it's predicated on your actual care of a human being. And... To treat somebody kind. So let me give you a specific example then. You, let's say you're in a position with somebody where, okay, I'll get, I'll just get personal. It's easier that way. And I just keep picking on myself. When I was a young speaker, I had a mentor who was very kind to me. And I've talked about John before. John is more spiritually mature than I am and was also, I mean, is more intellectually mature than I am as well. And that was even more the case when I was beginning as a speaker. And he was kind to me in the sense that he listened to, he listened to a lot of my messages. So he would sit there and actually listen. He would take notes. That was kind enough as it was. He was also kind in the sense that he could have taken me to bits right away. He could have just just eviscerated some of the stupid things I was saying and some of the sentimental, just all kinds of terrible. We might get him he to comment went, on this podcast. Yeah, I would. I would actually. I would like to. But he he was very 
careful and gentle with his criticism. Now, he could have just said, no, I'm just being honest, and just absolutely been a wrecking ball to me. But he was kind. He was he cared about me. He saw he saw some he saw a sense of calling and he saw the possibilities there. And so he wanted to offer criticism in measured doses so that I would so that he wouldn't he, he could also build me up and he wouldn't break me down too much. And so he would balance that criticism with affirmation as well. He wasn't watering down the truth. He wasn't just being nice for niceness sake. There were, there were times where, where John, I told, I told the one story about John where I'd given a message and, and then afterwards he said, could you summarize that in a sentence or two or three? Oh no, it's too impossible to categorize. It's just too rich. Cameron, that is not good. <laughs> so he was <laughs> very honest sometimes, but that was, but it was very obvious to me that he cared about me. So that's kindness. I think mm-hmm. when we're, especially when we're challenging people morally, we have to bear that in mind. That that has to be the dynamic. We have to earn the person's trust. The only way to earn a person's trust is not by affirming <laughs> affirming them to death, but by demonstrating to them in word and deed that you care about them. You have their best in mind. How about this? You can be nice and dishonest, but you can't be kind and dishonest. I like that a lot. Yes. Hmm. I think that's that's as good a soundbite as as i've heard yeah and so thank I you think for that nice compliment there's a well yeah, yes <laughs> nathan i've always i've always found that you just have this aptitude for these phrases but i think part of part of what we, we should maybe focus on taking away here if there is a if there is a takeaway is some of what we've said earlier could sound run the risk of sounding very daunting i think oh my gosh this is such a difficult cultural moment We've upped the ante by moving away from, oh, you're just a Christian and you're irrational to, oh, you're a Christian and you're an immoral person. But on the other hand, there are tremendous opportunities here. I think we're all getting a timely reminder that we're not called to love the world in the sense that love everybody on the planet. I mean, there's a certain, I suppose, abstract sense in which we are called to love others as ourselves. But the main people we're called to are the people in our lives. So I think we had this kind of missionary mindset for a long time where we just thought the people we're ministering to, the people we're, you know, the outreach we're doing, those are all exotic people, either, you know, across town or across the ocean, somebody far away. And I think now we're finally realizing, no, it's the annoying people in my office. It's my family. It's the people in my neighborhood. It's the people in the PTA. It's the people in the HOA. It's that those are, it's those people. So if we have that in mind, these kinds of close relationships, the opportunity to demonstrate and just in, in your daily life that you care deeply about these people is there. And the opportunities for those difficult conversations where you challenge somebody morally, those are going to arise organically because you, you are in the midst of life with these people. So it's yes. not, if we're thinking, oh man, I got to go to this university campus and tell this kid he shouldn't be gay anymore. I mean that may be part of that may be part of your frontline call. Who knows? But it, it might. It's more likely. I haven't seen that go well. That those record. Yeah, right. It's more likely that those kinds of conversations are going to happen with people who you're closer to, and that makes it on the one hand that can make it more difficult, but on the other hand that shows you that this can this can unfold organically, and of course you behind the scenes we're praying about this, praying for 
the spirit to to give us the right words, to help us to know when to say something, when to not say something, and what the difference is between being kind and being nice in those moments. Hang on. So are we not making a massive assumption here, though, that so niceness is always um, ni- niceness is often seen as an affirming me as I am. Kindness operates in the category where it assumes that moral change and growth and development is not just possible, but is good. So there's, there has to be an underlying yeah. sense in which I want something more of my life than I'm currently experiencing in order for me to receive feedback at all whether it's good or not. Like if I'm, if I'm pretty happy, just dialed in the way that I am. Um, I was talking to somebody, an acquaintance who I thought this person has some pretty significant changes that they should make in their life that would, you know, allow them to do some basic things and got to talking to them and they were perfectly content in the search situation they were in like, huh, surprising, Mm -hmm. but okay. Um, we are, are let's just i'm just pointing out that as christians we are operating within a category where there's a a higher calling and an, a higher sense of oughtness to our lives that we're looking for help in achieving so that makes us more open to mm-hmm. receiving non affirmation yes i mean even i th- yeah if you're i mean a one basic posture of humility in human life and this was pointed out by socrates is if somebody offers you moral correction, you you see it as them having done you a favor. If you see it as an affront, then your your posture isn't isn't right. And Christians, if we're people who believe we want to become Christ-like, we want to grow in spiritual maturity, we need to be open to that, to correction. That has to be openness to correction has to be part of our posture. And I mean, get, to go back to your dentist's nice dentist says, "Oh, it's not so bad." Here's a here's a lollipop. The that's the nice dentist. The the kind dentist says it's a cavity, but you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of it. It's gonna hurt, but we're gonna fix it, and then you'll be fine. Also. You're in trouble because so, your your pastor yeah. listens to this. I'm in trouble because my dentist listens to this. So, Josh, you're great. <laughs> so yeah, take it so easy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind kindness will involve addressing the problem, and so kindness sometimes is a bit like going to the dentist. Kindness is a bit like going to a good dentist. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But that that tops the sound. And we all <laughs> we all need to. Well, we all and we all need to be. We all need to be willing. To do that, see, that's the other thing. We, I think, a lot of people are very intimidated by difficult, let's say, outreach level or evangelistic conversations, because they think, "Oh, people will will receive this so poorly." They'll say, "How dare you? Who do you think you are?" And I think we instinctively feel that is. I think the reason we instinctively feel that is because that's often our own posture. Mm -hmm. True we may not be struggling with something like our sexual orientation or one of these these kind of major hot button button issues that are, you know, dominating the cultural conversation. But if somebody calls us out and says, you need to, you need to knock off that gossip. Oh, I was, I was just expressing concern. I just, I just had, I just wanted to, how dare you? I if just that's wanted our, you to pray see, for so this. often we, we, we don't, yeah, we don't realize we've got, we've, 
we've drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. We're breathing this cultural air as well. And whenever anybody calls us out, when we have to go to the moral dentist, so to speak, we we don't want it. We want the niceness. We want somebody to give us the pass. So if we're going to do this with others, I suppose there's a scriptural precept here and picture that Jesus offers to us and that we should probably address the log in our own eye before helping somebody deal with the speck in their eye. So, but Luke, notice that, of course, we we are to we are to help people deal with the speck in their eye. But after having first addressed what we're dealing with, so we we need to be open to correction. That has to be part of our posture if we're going to do the same thing to other people. I think one other thing, just to tag on here, as we're thinking about, so what is it that people want from the leadership of their spiritual communities? Is that oftentimes I think people want. They're the leaders of their spiritual, let's just use the word church here, make it more specific to applies to us. They want, they want their church a place to, to be a place where they can invite their friends to feel, come and feel comfortable and feel like they belong and they're a part of something. And that is a good, true, and heartfelt desire. However, the point of being part of a church is not to have a place where you feel like you belong. That That's a that's a secondary asset or like that's a benefit that comes along with a place where you seek truth and you seek growth and you are made uncomfortable by the things that need to be dislodged from your life and you're challenged and encouraged in the right ways and you develop and you grow in kindness um, that's based in truth. So out of that flows good relationships and good community. But if you start fundamentally with the position that I want my church to be a place where the people who don't believe like I do can come and feel comfortable, then you're going to get yourself in an interesting mm. situation. And I wonder if that's a, a not just it's not just the Church of England that's wrestling with that. I was reading an article even this morning no. talking about that um, in the American um, uh, church context. So there's I don't know that we've said anything new here. It's just a, a kind of a a kind reminder that don't make an idol out of niceness. And if you are, check your presuppositions of why it is that you're pursuing that, and you might find that you've swallowed some culturally orthodox ideas that don't lead actually to um, deep stability, growth, or rich Christian community. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.